This week on the podcast, I'm joined by John Perry. Together we explore Mormonism and we look at John's story as he began to walk away and realise that he no longer believed in the Mormon faith, what that meant for his life, what that meant for his family and friends, and how ultimately John came to settling in the fact that he no longer sits within the Mormon belief system. I have a lot of time for John Perry and it was fantastic to get him back on the show to deep dive into his story uh, and this space. If you're new to When Belief Dies, I'd ask you to hit subscribe and then hit the notification bell. You'll then be reminded whenever we release a video. And if you give this video a thumbs up, it helps to boost our visibility. It helps the show to grow. Uh, and yeah, I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with John Perry. Cheers. Hello and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam. I'm joined once again by the legend that is John Perry. John, how you doing? Good. Good. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. It was uh, it was an amazing conversation we had last time looking at um, evolution and theistic misunderstandings, which I found to be uh, have a really good reaction. There's been loads of people that have kind of gone back to it and and dived in and explored it. So uh, first of all, thank you, mate, for uh, coming on and doing that. I know it was um, it was a big effort uh, for you, but um, yeah, I really appreciate you spending the time researching, talking us through those those questions. No, that was a lot. Of, that's actually probably my favorite uh, yeah, interview conversation that I've done off my channels because we were able to hit a lot of, we, we were all over the place. We really dove deep in, in answering some of these questions that a lot of people have, even even if they're just new to the theory of evolution, not necessarily coming from religion, but there's all these questions that people have that we were able to, to tackle. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I know I, I kind of sent you a whole, whole, whole ream of questions like, this is going to be a lot, I'm aware. But yeah, it was great of you to do that. I think it, as well for me, it's... um. It's one of those conversations that I'm going to come back to time and time again, just to remind myself um, about different things, because I'm still I still feel very much like I'm a bit of a newbie in that space, um, having come from. And again, it's not even like a like a creationist background. It's just a very conservative background, which kind of didn't really go into evolution because God did it. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good to have that and also to have the resources that you mentioned as well in the video. That's um, yeah, super helpful. Well, actually, I am kind of curious before we uh, dive into my story here with with your history, what what was in your faith? What was the reaction to evolution in your circles? People were okay with it. Good question. I love how it's now going to be interviewing me. What the heck? Yeah. This one's been about <laughs> you. Um, yeah. So I think so. Evolution wasn't really talked about at all for me until I hit high school. Um, See, so yeah, over here, what that sort of twelve to sixteen or eighteen, you stay there to the end of high school and you head off to uni. Um, so. It was really just science and only specific areas of science that talked about evolution, kind of a little bit within geology as well. There's a little bit sort of kind of talking about formation, you know, kind of rock deposits, those sorts of things, which kind of made you realize how old things were. But um, it really wasn't ever kind of taught at, at an early age. Um, but I, I kind of grew up and was raised in quite a working class sort of like a northern town up here in Yorkshire. So, um, you know, it wasn't on the top of the curriculum. It was just to get people to actually make it to the end of school rather than inform them about all, all, all the good stuff. And I kind of realized that the way that I viewed it, if I didn't understand something, wasn't to put my hand up in class and ask more questions. It was more about um, 
oh it's okay because you know god has it he had it it's all sorted it's fine we're here now and that's what it's all about it's about us us the humans being at the top of the food chain and ruling the planet as we are um and i think yeah it's just it's, it's weird now looking back on it and realizing how little went into my head like i mentioned in, in our conversation like the idea of a abiogenesis it wasn't something that i was even aware of until i started my show which you would think you know i'm, I'm how old am i now i'm 33 you would have thought that um you know, somebody who was, what, 30, 30-ish when I started uh, back in the really early days uh, would have come across this concept by that point in their life, but still but still not. And that just makes me realise, actually, there's probably a lot of people out there who have probably been raised in quite, like, a, in, in the West, raised in a good educational system. Um, they've been taught this stuff, but it's almost kind of gone in one ear and then, and then out the other ear, and they've never really questioned it or kind of wanted to go into it because it's always just been, well, it's just the way things are because of God. Um don't know, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, but but your the religious group that you you were raised in they were they didn't have they weren't strong creationists. Not no, so, or young earth creationists. No, yeah. They weren't. Yeah, so they they weren't strong creationists or young earth creationists. But it was never something we spoke about. So it was always yeah. like um, uh, behind the scenes or like a sort of kind of behind the veil. Like we didn't really ever get get it out and talk about it. It wasn't like it wasn't like a core doctrine of our belief system. But it was almost like one of those things that nobody speaks about because if you get that out and put it into light, people are going to begin to go, well, we still trust science. And science says this Earth's really old and that creation doesn't really make sense. So you know, it starts raising more questions than it does answers. So I think, yeah, they, they, they weren't, it wasn't a big issue studying evolution, but it was never, um, it never had the spotlight put upon it because of the questions, it, I guess, it would come out. So Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. It is bizarre. Um Okay, so today I thought it'd be great just to kind of talk about backstories, essentially talk about kind of um, where where we've come from, especially kind of looking into into your story, John, exploring um, sort of how you were um, raised, potentially if you were raised in a religious faith, and if not, kind of when you began to kind of get involved with, with the religious faith and then sort of following that process all the way to where you are today. So I guess... Mm-hmm. To kind of start with, if you're happy to, it'd be really helpful to kind of give us an idea of kind of um, where you are in the world, the sort of kind of um, culture that you were raised in, sort of small town or big city or, you know, out in the countryside, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. The sort of kind of ways you were brought into a belief system, whether that was through sort of a young age being taught about it or whether it was an, an older age, maybe it was university, you, you never quite know. So how you began to get involved with a with a belief system. Um, so kind of give us the sort of, uh, I guess, the sort of, uh, if, you, if it was a comic book, the first five pages of the of the story, like what, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Okay, so, well, maybe I should start this briefly saying where I'm at right now, which is I, a lot of people would say that I'm an atheist or that I'm a, some people would say that I'm agnostic, but what my my belief system is that I'm fairly certain that the gods people believe in are cultural inventions and uh, really useful and important cultural inventions, but that that's what they are fundamentally. And I came to that after being raised Mormon, which <laughs> the Mormon church is a very uh, involving religion. I I was... Raised in a pretty small town. Uh, I was born on a little coastal town in Oregon. And then we moved to a city called Albany, where you know, I think it was probably when I was three years old, we moved to Albany. And I was raised there. And we lived, we had a house kind of just on the edge of the city in a bunch of grass 
near a bunch of grass seed farms. So there was like a little little tiny neighborhood that was a bunch of little houses like you'd see in a normal neighborhood, but it was just grass seed fields all around that neighborhood. Um, so pretty small little town, pretty especially where we were. It was a small town feel. Uh, and my dad was he was a trained psychologist. He was very liberal for a Mormon, you know, politically and just the way he thought about things. And he he told us to be very to question everything basically. I mean I remember when I was a kid we were watching commercials and he would ask us, you know, what are the tricks that people are using to make this this beer seem like it's a good thing to buy or you know, he would he would just he would have us analyze how people are trying to trick us and it was just kind of uh, natural to do that at church too for me in my head. Uh, my first major doubt about Mormonism happened when I was probably 12. We, I had just learned in school about plate tectonics. And I was on a hike with the church and we went with people from the church. We went to the top of this mountain and uh, they wanted to do a scripture study at the top. And they were reading from the Bible, the creation story. Uh, and they had us look at the mountain range and see like, look how beautiful it was that God made this. And the girl who was doing the lesson, she had this painting of Jesus in outer space and there was like wind blowing and there was lightning and he was building the mountains. There was lava coming up kind of in the distance. And it was just like, I, I felt like, you know, when, when I looked at the diagrams in my textbook about how mountains formed, it made sense when I look at pictures of the creation story, and I know it's just an artist's rendition, but it makes it seem silly. And the, that was just this realization that I had. It's like this, when it's just words and it's fairly poetic, like like Genesis is, I like it. But when it's described in detail or when anyone tries to really pick it apart, it becomes ridiculous. That's interesting. Because the exact opposite is true when I'm learning about plate tectonics or, you know, geology. Um, so that was, that really shook me actually for, for quite a long time. I was really paying attention to this from there on out. And I was, I, I didn't trust my doubts because there were so many great people in the church. So many like powerful people, so many ambitious people, so many smart people all around me that believed fully in Mormonism, they believed, you know, Mormonism is, uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> some people describe it as Christian fan fiction, but the, the, um, it's, it's Mormons consider themselves to be Christian and it's basically, you've got the Bible. They believe in the Bible. They believe in God and Jesus from the Bible, but then they have the book of Mormon, which tells extra things about, uh, God and Jesus from the perspective of supposedly from Native American cultures. Um, and Joseph Smith was the Mormon prophet who in the 1800s, he came up with the, the Book of Mormon saying that he, he uh, unburied golden plates that had these, this ancient record of the Native Americans' interactions with God. So, yeah, that's Mormonism in a nutshell. But I, so I was raised with that. Um, I stuck with it a lot of, a lot of it being, you know, pressure from family. There was kind of like, there's a pull to leave because it doesn't seem to really fit with what I actually believe. 
but then there's so many benefits of it. There's the whole culture. Everyone that I knew was in it. And you can just kind of ignore the weird things and it's fine. Uh, I learned a lot of discipline in the church. I actually served a mission in Brazil when I was, so after, after high school, Mormons do a mission for two years. Uh, Mormon men do. Sometimes women will as well. They usually, I think they might, it might be now that men and women serve a mission for the same amount of time. But back when I did it, women served for, I think a year and a half and men did it for two years. But basically you say that you're willing to do a mission and they tell you where you're going to go in the world and you just go there. They'll teach you the language. So in my case, I went to Brazil. So I learned Portuguese at a mission training center for two months. And then they just sent me out into Brazil and you're with a companion so you're with just another kid that's your age. Um, you know, you're you're between 19 and 21. And you, it, it was really interesting just how, how well-structured it was as far as, if you think about this from the, the church's perspective, they have to get a bunch of boys to go out into a foreign country, go into people's houses, and preach Mormonism to them without having sex with anybody, <laughs> you know? And so they've, they've got all of this, this whole system is set up with very minimal babysitting where they just, they move you every few weeks. So every, every, I think it was every five weeks or six weeks, we would all have to bring our luggage and we'd go to this central hub. And in my case, this is in Sao Paulo. And they would tell us if we're going back to the same place where we just were or if we're going to a different place with a different companion. And so you, you would never know. So you, you just go to the, this meeting with your luggage. Sometimes you both go back home to the same place you came from. Sometimes you get switched. And they're just, you know, the, the mission president. This, he was an older guy who's in charge of, of managing all these kids. You know, it's his task to just try and evaluate, like, are these are these two getting too comfortable with each other? Should I separate them now? And so it's it's amazing how it worked. And then every night we would call. Uh, the thing was was organized in a hierarchy so that there's there's zones and districts. Every night you would call what's called a district leader, and you'd tell them that you're at your house, uh, and you call from a payphone that's in front of your house. So they get the they get the number. They know you're actually at your house at at like nine p.m. or whenever it was that we were supposed to be home. And then they call to a leader above them, and then that person calls to the president. So the mission president is able to account for hundreds of missionaries every single night just with this little phone call chain. It was really cool, just the structure and the, the uh, organization of it. But during my mission, that's when I realized I don't, I don't believe in this stuff. <laughs> and uh, it actually took me several years afterwards to fully leave because I kept on trying to give it a second chance. Like uh, maybe I missed something. Um, but then, yeah, it was 2000. I think it was probably 2010 that I fully ended it and just told everyone that I was done and, you know, started making social media posts. I think some of them were fairly obnoxious at first, but <laughs> uh, then I calmed down uh, pretty quickly. So, yeah, that's the that's kind of the origin story, I suppose. Uh, really interesting. Um 
it, it sounds like some sort of like weird Netflix sort of special, you know, like like an eight part <laughs> or ten part special about like this person that has to like spend the next ten weeks like organizing these like hundreds of children or young, young adults <laughs> in kind of like other countries to go and spread the word of whatever it is. Yeah. Um, oh, that's crazy. So I, yeah. it, it'd be interesting. So I've I've heard a lot about Mormonism before, but I've never really had anyone explain to me kind of. Um, what what it looks like within a sort of a service, or what it feels like to be part of of the congregation. Like, mm, what, what, yeah. so so I've, I've kind of explained to people right many times sort of what it was like for me um, preaching or being within a congregation or sort of leading in different ways. But I think it'd be really interesting to kind of hear kind of having obviously being raised in it, sort of what it what what Mormonism meant and what people thought it it was when you were within the sort of congregation. So. So for me, for example, I was raised in quite a conservative Christianity. I went to a Bible college, which was um, quite Pentecostal. Uh, so yeah. there's lots of people kind of speaking in tongues or praying for healing or, um, you know, very much getting involved with worship music and allowing that to seep through them and kind of getting emotionally attached to, to the sort of moment like you would in a gig or something. Um, but it'd be really interesting to hear. I've, I, I don't know why, but I've always thought of Mormonism as more sort of a closed off and, and homely, I guess, but... Yeah. I, mean, I have absolutely no idea so kind of it'd be interesting to hear john what was what was it like really from the inside yeah uh from the inside the 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 image of god that we had was a very um uh there, there's this image of, of sort of a, a very stoic um and it, like, like a very stoic father figure so loving tough but loving and uh just very stable entity so that's the kind of being that i would be praying to and measuring myself against uh the like a, a typical mormon meeting there's uh uh, on Sunday, the service is three hours long, or it was when I was, they've shortened it now, but it was three hours long when I was back when I was doing this. And you started out with a meeting where everyone's together. So it's all families. There's no preacher. There's, there is a bishop, but he's a lay bishop. So he's in charge of the congregation and he basically delegates, you know, either he d does this directly or delegates to someone else to set up who's going to be the speaker during the the main Sunday meeting. And so there's, there's usually like five or six people that'll give a talk during this hour. So they, they give short talks about something they read in the scriptures or something that they, some, some sort of, um, you know, faith building presentation that they'll give uh, no music, no image, no imagery, nothing. And then that's broken up with hymns. So there's, there's hymns that are fairly old. So a lot of, uh, a lot of like Lutheran hymns we would sing, and then a lot of older hymns from, you know, the 1800s in America, um, and a couple of hymns that are Mormon specific, that things that hymns about Joseph Smith, you know, the prophet, and and so on. But the hymns are very. It's just piano. There's no rock and roll. There's nothing. Like it. It's just piano or organ, and then these hymns. You have a sacrament which is similar to like the blood and the 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 cracker that they would do it at, uh, at a Catholic church, but it's, it's water and bread because Mormons don't drink wine. Um, and so that you would have, um, so young men that are like, I think, I think you can start doing it at 16. So 12 year olds would 
men would get their boys would get the priesthood so they could pass out the sacrament. So it's the body and blood of Christ to the congregation. And then when you're, I think when you're 16, you can be the person that blesses the sacrament. And so there's a, there's a written prayer for blessing the sacrament where you, you basically convert the, um, the water and bread to a symbol of the body of Christ. And everyone takes that. And it's a very, like, very quiet, very sacred moment for people during their week. And if you feel like you haven't lived up to the teachings or the, the covenants that you made when you were baptized, you won't take the sacrament. You'll just let it pass. Um, and the, the, the boys that are supposed to distribute the sacrament, if they don't feel like they did what they were supposed to that week, they won't do it. And there's, it's kind of like no questions asked. You just say, Oh, I, I shouldn't do it this week. And so it's, there's a lot of, um, yeah, the, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is very sacred to Mormons. They take it very seriously. Uh, there's not confessions like you have in the Catholic Church, but there are um, yearly interviews with the bishop where if he'll he'll just basically ask there's there's a couple of things that Mormons are very serious about. One is called the Word of Wisdom, which is the health codes that Mormons live by, which is no alcohol, no coffee, no no addictive substances, essentially. Uh, and then there is chastity is super important. So no premarital sex, no sex outside of marriage. And, you know, pornography is a big issue that's talked about a lot in Mormonism now since internet, <laughs> the internet became a thing. But so, yeah, chastity is very important to Mormons. And then that's one of the things that you'll talk about in your yearly interview with the bishop and then tithing. So they pay 10% of their income to the church. So those are the things that are like the really big, obvious rules that Mormons follow. Uh, and then there's a lot of other smaller things that, that people are doing. So you have this hour meeting, which is the sacrament meeting. And then you have two more hours, which are classroom type things where people are divided by age and by sometimes by sex. Um, the men go have the, a, a priesthood class. The women have a Relief Society class. And then aside from church every week, men are also assigned, and actually the, the women are assigned separately. They're assigned a companion, that, and they're assigned like five families that they're supposed to visit every month. It's called It was called home teaching back when I was doing it. And you would go and you just visit these families and make sure that they've got all their needs met, you know. I think it was a really cool program. Like one time I was in charge, one of the, the, I, there was this older lady who was alone and she was a cat lady. She just had tons of cats and she just had a couple of dogs that would live with her and she was handicapped. She was in a wheelchair and I would go there once a month and help her clean up her house. Cause it was just filthy. And I, at that time, the companion that I was supposed to be with, he would never come with me. He was, he, he didn't, he didn't want to do it. So I would just go over there and hang out with this lady help her clean up her house. <laughs> and I realized that she was eating cat food because I, I went into the fridge one day, one day and there's nothing in there. I'm like, what are you eating? And she's like, oh, I just, I eat cat food. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I was able to go to the, the church and tell them that that's what was happening. And so they just started buying meals for her. So I'd bring her groceries, you know, every week. So, or someone would. 
so the Mormons take care of each other like that, which is a really cool thing to do. And then, so the men are doing that and then the women are doing that separately. So they're, they're also visiting the same people. So there's this overlap. So people get, it's, it's pretty much guaranteed people are taken care of. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of it. There's a bunch of youth programs. Um, like every Wednesday night was a youth thing that we'd go to. And then when you're in high school, there's also seminary every morning before school. So you wake up at like six in the morning and you go to an hour long class about the old Testament or whatever. And my mom is actually a seminary teacher right now. So she does that. And I think she's doing old Testament this year. So, um, that's, that's, is that over zoom these days or is that, um, is that still in person then? It was over Zoom during the height of COVID, but as soon as they were able to go back to in-person visits, they did. So, and you know, it, it varied by where you were in the world because the Mormon Church tries to respect local laws. Of, you know, so they were there was some pushback by the Mormon Church against COVID restrictions, but they pretty much they stayed fairly calm. I mean, within Mormonism, there's, there was a lot of anti-vax stuff and a lot of anti-mask and anti, um, you know, they felt like it was an overreach, but the official Mormon stance, I think was pretty calm on that. But yeah. fascinating and and i guess i kind of also be interested to hear is mormonism really predominant in clusters or is it quite widespread i i kind of feel like it's more that families stay around local areas because of the support network because there is the sort of integration within society and the sort of known kind of quality of your community um rather than sort of like you know kind of where, where i live Everybody's born and raised, small town, which disappears straight away off to a big city. If you education, then they'll meet somebody and they'll go back maybe towards their small town. And, you know, you just, yeah. everybody just scatters to the wind, basically. So what was it like? Do you, do you find different pockets or in, within different countries of, of Mormonism? Or is it actually quite widespread across many populations? There's a very thin spread pretty much everywhere. But then you have you have really high concentrations in certain areas. So uh, Utah is where the Mormons settled in the 1800s, 18, yeah, late 1800s. And um, so Utah, Idaho, uh, actually Nevada, so Vegas, there's, t there's tons of Mormons in Vegas. Uh, and then, yeah, there's spots in Arizona, but you've got pockets all over the place. So Mormonism really did well in Brazil, where I was. Like, so on my mission, I was there for two years. I baptized, I think, 21 people. <laughs> so it's, people are really, they think it's, people get excited about it in Brazil. Just something about the Brazilian culture makes them pretty, pretty open to Mormonism. So you have certain countries where, but, but in Brazil, it's pretty, it's pretty evenly spread. There's not these really tight clusters like you have in the U.S., in the U.S., you have really tight clusters that are really based on Mormon settlements early on. Um, and, but, yeah, it, but it is everywhere. So I'm, I live in Montreal right now, or near Montreal. I'm in Quebec, so I'm in French Canada. 
pretty much everyone here is atheist. I actually have not met, uh, except for except for some Mormons that my mom told me to go hang out with out here. I haven't met anyone who's religious. Not a single person. Is <laughs> everyone's atheist in in Quebec? Pretty much. I mean, everyone used to be Catholic, and then there was this big exodus in the seventies uh, from Catholicism. But even here, there are, there is like a really thin spread of Mormonism. So like in my town, I, I live in a fairly small town outside of Montreal. And here there is a little, they call it a branch, which is a really small group of Mormons. And they meet in like a, a strip mall type. It's just a building that they're renting from a strip mall that they meet on Sundays. Um and then eventually, if it were to get big enough, they would actually build a church here. But there is a there's a Mormon temple. And that's something else we talk about is, is the temple ceremonies within Mormonism. There is a Mormon temple in Montreal, which what that means is that there's there are quite a few Mormons in this in this region, and they're active. They're paying tithing, so they get a temple. <laughs> so the uh, Mormons are pretty much everywhere. Interesting. And now I really want to know what the difference between a church and a temple is. Like, do you do you have churches within <laughs> yeah. Mormonism? I assume yes. you do, but yeah. yeah. So, what what's the difference? What's what what is this temple thing? Yeah. So, so the, the chapel, the church, is basically for normal activities and normal church meetings, stuff that you do all the time. The temple is a place where, where they've set they've separated it for. Uh, it's supposed to be a highly sacred building, for people who are fully committed to the religion. So. Right before your mission, you go through a whole series of interviews to make sure that you you know, you know you you obeying all the rules you you're chase you're, you're sexually chaste and all this stuff, um, and then you go to the temple to perform a ceremony where you basically you're all in after this um, and the ceremony it's <laughs> it's fairly complicated. And Mormons, Mormons consider it sacred. They don't like people talking a whole lot about it. Um, and I, I'm happy to respect that. But basically what they do is they, um, they just make a lot of covenants to uh, obey the, you know, o- obey God and obey this idea that Joseph Smith was a prophet and he restored the true church on the face of the earth. So Mormons believe that Mormonism is the true church of Jesus Christ. That it's, it's the same one that he established with the apostles when he was here, that the church was destroyed shortly after his cruci- uh, he was crucified. And then after the apostles were hunted down, um, Mormons believe that the actual church Jesus set up was destroyed. And then it was rebuilt with Joseph Smith. And so there's this big gap of, of the dark ages where there was no truth on the face of the earth. Um, so they go over that, the, I mean, the, the ceremony, there's a couple of ceremonies that you do there. Um, one is washing and anointings where it's, it's, um, fairly similar to the rituals you would see when someone is, is, um, when a new King in, of England or something is anointed. That, so there's there's a there's like a washing and an anointing, and you're you're told so like they wash you with with water. They, they, there's a guy who puts just sprinkles water touches water on you and and does this ceremony, and then they do the same with oil. They anoint you with oil with olive oil, which is a sacred symbol in Mormonism. 
I don't know if it's is olive oil sacred in other Christian religions, or is that just yeah, people a Mormon use thing? oil to represent? Uh, so, especially in my well, yeah, I guess in both conservative and Pentecostal Christianity within the 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 UK, at least that I'm aware of, yes, oil is used as a sort of a symbol of God's blessing or spirit coming upon you, based on the yeah. Old Testament, right, and a yeah. bit of the New Testament, but mainly the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, so they yeah they would anoint you with olive oil, and they they basically they pronounce you as royalty, uh, in the kingdom of God, and then you go through a ceremony that's that um, in the it used to be all performed by actors, but it goes over the creation of the world, the fall of Adam and Eve, and uh, and now it's like now it's a movie. There's like a movie theater inside the temple, and you watch this this performance that was filmed. Uh, and then after that, you go through a ceremony that represents dying and going to heaven. And there's a bunch of like um, signs and tokens and things that you, you, you talk to this person at the veil between uh, uh, earth life and the afterlife. And that's, that's where things, they say everything's sacred and you shouldn't talk about it. But basically yeah, you just, you just interact with this person at the veil and they let you into into the the celestial kingdom which in the temple is just white room this really well built like real, everything's really fancy in there and then you you go in there and you're wearing um you're wearing these this robe and these uh these garments that represent all sorts of things that happened with the fall of Adam and Eve and the uh redemption by Jesus and you go and you just hang out in this room as long as you want and it's the, they set the temple aside for this sacred place. You have to get a temple recommend. To, you have to have a card saying that you're allowed to be there. And you get that by going to the bishop. And he grills you on different, like, how how are you living your life? Um, you have to be pay, paying tithing. So the, the church will build a temple when there's enough members in that region that are that are, quote, temple worthy and are paying their tithing and so on. Then they'll build a temple there. And then they also perform in the temple marriages that are for eternity. So I think probably one of the big differences between Mormonism and other versions of Christianity is this idea that families are e eternal and that you your marriage is forever. Um, and they believe that God is actually married and that we are actual children of God created through something akin to sexual reproduction that the gods do. <laughs> and so there's um, the Mormons don't think about it this way usually, but they are It's, I suppose you, it could be classified as polytheism because they do believe that there are perhaps billions, billions of gods, but only one for us um, because for them, gods are these entities that are constantly expanding and reproducing and expanding and creating. And this has been going on for forever and will be going on forever. So the, our life is just this uh, transition from a spiritual child of God to godhood is, is the journey. And life is one of the trials in the production of a god, essentially. So it's that's where they really get uh that's where they really differ from other Christian religions. I don't I don't think that anything like that exists in other ideas like that don't exist in other Christian 
theologies. But. So, so they take the Old Testament as as literal, I assume. Essentially, they they think that it w- it's corrupted but literal. Yeah. Okay. And then, so how do they view the New Testament? Do they think it's the same? Same way. Thing? Yeah. Okay, but so, less. Yeah. So when Jesus is saying kind of like you know that there won't be husbands and wives in paradise how do they reinterpret that yeah i actually don't remember how people would deal with that specifically it was um i'm trying to remember what the what the argument for that is that's okay so i mean it's been they, a while they, right yeah <laughs> they believe in well yeah but i used to be a missionary so i should remember all this stuff because it was every day that i was teaching it they would i guess that question never came up very much but they, I, I believe that the argument they would give is that paradise and the celestial kingdom are different things. So paradise was, is where the righteous go between death and judgment. And then after judgment is when you go to the celestial kingdom and that's when families are united. I think that's the argument they would give. I mean, it's, the theology is internally consistent. It's, um... So there, there is some sort of argument like that for every every quirk you could throw at it, but it's um, I, I believe that's I believe that's how people had, have officially explained that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, and and you mentioned as well. I'm not quizzing you as 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 a Mormon. I'm just really interested <laughs> yeah, to kind of yeah. work out what what the differences are. But you, you kind of mentioned that um, there's this idea that um, that Jesus had established his church, was crucified, and then his apostles were hunted down and then sort of church came to an end there was a dark the, the dark ages and then 1800s plates are discovered it kicks back off etc etc so kind of i yeah. guess i don't know this is a particularly easy question to answer probably not but um i find that fascinating because as far as i can tell the church wasn't established until a kind of you know a good few years after jesus death you could argue that there was something that kind of kicked off within the first few days when people begin to realize they had visions or felt like he was there again or whatever language yeah. or whatever you want to say that happened for most of the apostles we have absolutely like no idea what happened to them they're all they're just not ever mentioned again after the sort of uh, gospel accounts a few of them are mentioned in acts and in other letters um, but we don't know for certain other than a couple of them what their ends were we believe that a few of them were martyred but there's no evidence for yeah. most of them doing anything like that um, and then we kind of see the formation of um, different groups of people that kind of begin to believe that this person Jesus rose from the dead and then we begin to see uh, churches congregate in these areas and then there'd be network of churches that Paul's writing yeah. to or Peter or whoever the governor networks of churches and then you know kind of by the the middle of the fourth century so the, the sort of 300s you begin to see like different creeds coming in which are really bringing together right well this is what the old and new testament look like this is the canon we can agree these books are left out these books remain in etc etc so you kind of really see that formation happening so late so as an ex-mormon what yeah, would what, yeah. what, what the sort of thoughts be around sort of the actual kind of history of how the church was brought about like how would they begin to reconcile all that yeah so i i mean they're the new testament they believe in that so the when I when Mormons talk about uh, Jesus establishing his church, they're talking about him giving priesthood to Peter, essentially, like on on this rock, right? Um, so Peter Peter actually sets up the official like organization that becomes the Mormon Church, or the 
the church of Jesus Christ um, after Jesus is crucified. And then you have the big, you have the expansion of the church. Then you have, uh, yeah, we do have, I can't remember which, which apostles we know of that were for, for sure that were killed. Is it Peter? It is Peter and Paul, really. The rest of it a little bit, uh, maybe. Right. And then we have, uh, like, Mormons consider the full apostasy to be the establishment of the Catholic Church. That's, that's, the Catholic Church is considered to be, like, the, having been possessed (laughs) by the devil, basically. So they consider, um, they consider this, this real abomination where you have the government coming in and establishing what's true and what's not in the church. And that's, that's like the final like nail in the coffin for the official authority. So they think the history is lost, but they think that there is probably the priesthood is passed by the laying on of hands within Mormonism. So whoever has the priesthood, they put their hands on someone else's head. They bless that other person. They give them authority to act in the name of God. And Mormons, I think the assumption that they have history books written on this to where they, they debate about when, when it was actually lost, but it's, it was for sure lost by the time of the, the establishment of the, of the Catholic church, according to Mormon theology. Um, the, the book of Mormon talks about the Catholic, the Catholic church as being the whore of the earth and all this. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting because the, the the Mormon scriptures are very harsh against Catholicism, but but Mormons are not like that. If you talk to them, they're very like, oh no, the Catholic Church. Their people are trying to do what they can here. Um, it's just that they they, I guess you would say that they think the the root of it has been corrupted. So no, whatever good is happening there is despite the fact that the root has been uh, has rotted away. So they they do believe that Catholics are trying to do a good job with what they have, and that's what they believe with all about other uh, religious people. Uh, that they're they're trying to serve God, but that they're doing it wrong, basically. <laughs> so the it was it was very interesting, like just being raised with that idea, um, where you look at everyone as if they're doing it wrong, essentially. Uh, Mormonism has within it a way to think that about other people without hating them or without um without without being too harsh about it because Mormons one of the one of the other things people do in the temple is they do baptisms for the dead and that, and they do actually every every single ordinance that they do in the temple they also do it for for the dead so when someone dies their name will be taken to the temple and someone will be baptized in proxy for them, so in their name, and the Mormons believe that in the spirit realm, in paradise after death, um, those people will be taught Mormonism, and they can accept the baptism that was done for them, or they can reject it. So, Mormons spend tons of calories baptizing dead people. Essentially, <laughs> uh, they're doing it constantly. Because they're trying to get every single person who has ever been registered in any registry anywhere. That's why Mormons are obsessed with genealogy. It's because they're trying to get names to get baptized for. Because they they believe it's their responsibility to get baptized for every single person who has ever lived on the face of the earth. Uh, And the, the Mormons are trying to do as good of a job as they can. And then they believe that in the last days, Jesus will return 
and angels will give us records of everything we missed. And we'll continue doing this for like a thousand years or something. And then there, there will be judgment day. Um, I might've screwed that up a little bit, but that's more or less what they believe. So Mormons have this idea that, okay, my Catholic neighbors, they're doing it wrong, but they're good people. And maybe it'll just take a death <laughs> and not having been dead yet. You know, you're surviving death and then having angels come tell you, oh, Mormonism was the right one. Do you want to get baptized now? <laughs> maybe it'll just take that to, to push them over to be convinced. So the, there's this, there's this way in which Mormons can go about their business thinking they're right, everyone else is wrong, but not being jerks about it, you know? <laughs> like, ah, you guys will figure it out eventually. <laughs> so, yeah. It's almost like they're sort of like toddling off towards the road and they'll, they'll hit a car, they'll realize they were wrong, they'll come back, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, it's interesting as well about the thousand days. I know there's a, there's a very sort of... Um, uh, I guess Christian esque thing. I think it's, it's it's from basically it's from the book of Revelation, right? People have interpreted it to, to mean that um, you know Christ Christ will return. Um, he will basically lock up Satan in a pit for a thousand years. Um, oh, you know, I said yeah. days before. I meant years. Sorry. Uh, yeah. And then uh, basically, um, eventually he will let him come free, and then there'll be the final sort of judgment, and then sorry, the final sort of battle. Then Satan will be cast out into hell and. Uh, the sort of judgment will take place, the world will stop, judgment will take place, and then new creation, new earth are spun up, and then the righteous go to those existences, and the, the damned go down to the same place that Satan was cast asunder. So um, it's interesting. Like it, it sounds like it's similar, but extremely different. It's fascinating, like the sort of waves that they cross over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Mormonism comes from, you know, Joseph Smith was his kid. It, it, there's a lot of really evangelical... Um, like tints to Mormonism because Joseph Smith was raised in this really evangelical background. And then he, he created Mormonism um, and Mormonism that the doctrines were developed by quite a few people. So as the church was, was established, it really took off. Um, and Joseph Smith kind of, he kind of lost grip on, on everything pretty quickly. I mean, it, it expanded so quickly that it got away from him. So a lot of the, a lot of the Mormon doctrines come from him and come from other people that he had to start delegating authority to pretty quickly to try and manage all these people. And so there's a, there's a lot of different versions of Christianity melted into it, plus all of the, the new stuff added on that, uh, you know, Joseph Smith would say something and he was considered to be a prophet. So people would read a lot into it and then there'd be a book written about it later going into depth on this um, uh Brigham Young was the the guy who stepped in to be the prophet of the church, the leader of the church after Joseph Smith died, and he um, he was this really powerful um, kind of Wild West settler. You know, he he negotiated with natives in in Utah. Um, he all sorts of just craziest things that he would do. He would. The colonization of Utah is really interesting because the Mormons, the Mormons were hated by uh, a lot of people in Missouri where they tried to settle because they were voting in blocks. <laughs> there was tons of Mormons coming and they'd all vote the same. And people, the local people were like, what is going on here? The Mormons were also polygamists, which at that time, they're not anymore, but they were polygamists at that time, which bothered a lot of people. Um, 
Joseph Smith ended up getting murdered uh, while he was in prison uh, for basically he was he had a, he had formed a militia. He was very very powerful. He became very powerful because people thought he was a prophet. So they do whatever he said. So he formed a militia, which made a lot of people angry. Uh, you got you got a military power dedicated to one dude, <laughs> and uh, people were mad at him for stealing wives. He would send people on missions, and then he'd take their wives when they were gone. Um, a lot of people hated him for a lot of different reasons, and then so he was he was arrested for some. I think I can't remember what the charges were. It was he had destroyed a printing press. He set his militia out to destroy a printing press that was that was causing trouble for the Mormons. It was they were they were basically printing bad things about Mormons, and he didn't want that stuff to be printed, so he just had it destroyed. That I think that's what he was arrested for. But he also had some bank fraud things. He started a bank. Um, and ended up scamming a bunch of people out of money. So people hated him for a lot of different reasons. And eventually a mob just, they went to the jail where he was at and they killed him. Um, so he died fairly young. I think he was in his 30s, maybe maybe early 40s. But I think he died in his 30s. And then there was chaos in the church for a while. And eventually Brigham Young took it over. And he led the Mormons from Missouri to Utah and he was he would just tell people what to do and they would do it because it, it it's it's the perfect type of uh government structure to have when you're trying to colonize a really brutal area because he would just say hey you are going with your wife and these other five guys and their wives you're going to go there and you're going to build a city and if the if the natives kill you you're going to fight them and if they if they completely destroy the colony, I'm just going to send more people. And he would do that. He would just keep sending more and more people, just send people to the slaughter in these little areas until a city was established. My great great, I don't know, maybe great grandpa. So I, I I've been Mormon. My my lineage has been Mormon since the church started. Basically, he was from Spain. He was converted to Mormonism by missionaries who were in Spain. He came to America, and then ended up going to Utah. He was told by Brigham Young to settle in Idaho, and they kept getting attacked by natives. They built a fort. They had to keep retreating to other little areas, and they would just keep on going back uh, and trying to colonize this area until finally they were able to. Um, so, yeah, it was <laughs> it's just a crazy time in history. All The Mormons believed that they were doing what God wanted so they could— they could exploit natives. They could do these things, and they thought they were doing it for God and for righteousness. They thought that it was given to them by God. Uh, it's it's really interesting to think about things from their perspective, and to try and think about things from the natives' perspective. Um, it's it, it's really interesting today the the relationship that the Mormons have with the Ute Indians. They they just they displaced them, but there's actually. Uh, fairly decent relationships between the two groups, which is surprising. Um, they were they were kind of able to do this. the The battles they got into were minimal. Uh, it was mostly negotiation, and uh, some of it was just a misunderstanding. Like the the natives, 
Brigham Young made a deal with them saying, hey, can we stay here in this area? And they're like, sure, yeah, you can, you can, you can have this area thinking that the Mormons would be nomadic like they were. So the, the Utes came back during hunting season for them to have that area, and there was a city there and irrigation and all this stuff, and like, what's going on? And it, was a, it started out as a misunderstanding. There were some battles, uh, but fairly minimal battles, and then they were able to kind of work things out. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a very manipulative relationship, but also um, it ended up Depends on who you ask, but it ended up being okay-ish in the end, I think, compared to what other people were doing in the region. So uh, they, like the, the Mormons and the Utes would be allies against invading groups coming in to try and establish territories there as well. But yeah. Will you support when belief dies? Your support enables us to keep having these conversations and improving everything that we do. There are three ways to support When Belief Dies. Firstly, would you rate When Belief Dies in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Audible? Rating us in these spaces boosts our visibility. Secondly, would you share this episode with your family, friends and followers? We grow mainly through word of mouth, so please consider who might find this a helpful conversation and share it with them. Lastly, would you consider supporting the show financially? You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal or Bitcoin. Everything you give goes directly towards the running and improving of the podcast and YouTube channel. All links are in the description and thank you for supporting the show. Right. Let's get back to this week's conversation. Really interesting. And before we kind of dive into sort of kind of why you left, I guess, sort of final thing I want to ask when you kind of already mentioned that um, going down to uh, South America and uh, talking about Mormonism, there's a bit more of sort of a, an acceptance around it, a bit more of an excitement, I guess. Um, obviously, it started in the States, right? So is, is Mormonism quite culturally diverse now? Has it has it got to the position where it's it's across the world, it's across races, across borders, across all these lines that we see kind of drawn up in our on our maps and, and within our minds, I guess as well, or, or is it still very much a sort of kind of Western religion that other cultures take on because they want to feel Western? Like, do, do, do you have any sense of kind of where it is today? I guess yeah, Mormon leadership is pretty much like American, white American, old white guys, you know organizing the church so that the church has, they still have a prophet that's established. There's like a secession of power every time a prophet dies. Uh, and so far the prophet's always been a white guy, but the, the, the church is fairly, hmm, <laughs> they're pretty good these days at, giving local authority to whoever, um, you know, it's not, it's not super based on race or, <laughs> but it's just that you have to adopt these. There, there's a handful of rules and a handful of doctrines that you have to accept. Otherwise you're not really a Mormon. And, uh, a lot of what happens a lot of times when you, when Mormonism spreads through a culture is that a bunch of religious ideas from that culture end up trying to, to, 
well, they end up mixing in with uh, the Mormon doctrine. And the, the church will try to, they'll allow that to a degree, but they're very strict on certain doctrines. So a lot of it, a lot of the core of Mormonism is very Western. Um, West, not, not Western as in cowboys, but Western as in, uh, you know, Western culture. Um, Western, like European, uh, Western European culture. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty much stable. But yeah, a lot of local customs and local ideas seep in there where they're allowed. Uh, I think, you know, they're, because most Mormons, especially most Mormons who serve missions, are Americans. There's always there's always this uh, American culture that bleeds into it pretty strongly, and a lot of the kind of the American business culture. Because that, like like I said earlier, the way that the church works is very organized, almost like a, a an American military um, structure with how the mission worked and the way that the churches are organized themselves, it's very much military or business. You could say you have a very strict uh, hierarchy. There's the Bishop and he delegates things and those get delegated down, down, down. So you have a, a very, uh, a pyramid style, uh, authority. And this actually works out in a lot of people's favor. So what I saw in Brazil is we would go into a fairly poor area. You establish a church there and people start cleaning up. Well, first of all, you know, you, you stop using alcohol. There's, there's a lot of uh, alcoholism in Brazil. That's not allowed in the church. So the church tries to help people with that. And then the church gives people responsibilities right away. It's, everything's all a lay clergy. So it's the actual members of the church are running everything. And you have manuals that you read. And so people get exposed to this really rigid structure. And that actually helps a lot of people establish businesses. So in, in countries where you can just start your own business, Mormonism actually helps you get used to how to run a business. Because that's each each little Mormon church is essentially a business where you've got uh, a product and a clientele and you've got uh, employees and all that. It's just no one's paid. So the, yeah, it's, it's, it's very Western pro business pro, uh, you know, capitalism, I suppose it's, it's very much modeled in a, in a capitalism, uh, model. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, yeah, it does. It does. I find it, I find it fascinating as well that kind of, um, it's very similar to my experiences. So I've kind of, um, I'm very much aware of um, two church franchises, I guess you could say, in mm -hmm. the UK um, and 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 in the US as well. Actually, they're, they're very kind of predominant. Um, so New Frontiers is an evangelical uh, sort of movement sprung up in the 70s in the sort of house church movement here in the UK, um, and Assemblies of God, which is a little bit potentially a little bit older, but again, still kind of Pentecostal evangelical. Uh, they have yeah. roots now, like across the world, but. Um, at the top of the pyramid is old white guys 
just through and yeah. through um you know some of them will say that um like, like new frontiers will say that no men are positioned as elders that is their job women yeah. cannot be elders um other areas like the assemblies of god movement will say that men and women can be leaders but actually the way that god dictates it is that the man is the leader of the family and his wife is in the position with him so they're kind of a, a couple within it but it's still very yeah. much is the same sort of um i guess premise or uh way way of thinking it's really and that that traces back to paul right uh yeah. because paul was very sexist with the the way he established yeah. um yeah yeah so that's yeah that's that's deep in mormonism uh women have their own organization in the mormon church the relief society is what it's called or it's what it used to be called when i was in it they they changed things quite a bit but uh and within the Relief Society, there's a lot of freedom for the. It's kind of like an organization within the church that's run independently. So, I mean, there's oversight from the old white guys, but <laughs> the the uh, the women who run the Relief Society have a lot of. It, it's their it's their whole thing. So, the but but women do not have the priesthood in the Mormon Church. Like they can't bless people they can't baptize people and so on like there there's been occasions where that was permitted for some special circumstance um but it's like yes yeah, it's, it's not normally it's not normally established that way yeah i mean if you've got a uterus you shouldn't be allowed to do those sort of things it's <laughs> it's, it's very obvious yeah. um <laughs> please please hear my sarcasm listener or watcher <laughs> uh please um I get so I, I said that was the last question about it before we dive into your story, but there is just one more because you mentioned yeah. in in that in that conversation or that piece before that um, Mormonism is kind of being steered a little bit by by the culture of of the West, especially sort of the American culture at the moment. So so you left in 2010, I think you said. Feel free to correct me in a second. Um, obviously, it's 2022. Uh, a lot of things have changed. So I I went to Bible college in 2010, graduated 2013. Um, and I've noticed a massive change since 2010 in the sort of um, acceptance of homosexuality within churches. Um, the LGBTQ uh, scenes really kind of come to life within the West, especially during that time frame. Obviously, it was always a thing, but it's kind of it's really become to the fore uh, much more in the last sort of 10 years. Um, and I kind of I, you know we're, we're seeing things in the West like now where um, or I, I guess across the church, across the world, where kind of, um, you know, gay gay marriages are, are becoming a very normal thing within the Church of England and, and other churches across the globe. And yeah. uh, there's lots of progressivisms uh, within the church, which I know many Christians struggle with um, and many Christians are excited about. I'm not trying to stamp my, my thoughts on it at all, but it'd be interesting to hear kind of have... It, it sounds like Mormonism's pretty conservative. Yeah. I'm guessing it hasn't embraced those things, but do you think in the next sort of 10, 20 years' time we'll see any shift or will it always be a, a bit more of an archaic um or conservative um model of faith yeah right as i was leaving the mormon church actually the the first big obnoxious thing i did on the, online was uh, that the mormon church was trying to spend millions of dollars to vote against gay gay marriage in california they were spending tons of money on this and uh, I, I, I built this meme of Brigham Young with all of his wives around him, said, who said, vote no on blah, 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 to, to, to save 
uh, the sanctity of marriage, you know, just as a joke, making just pointing out that the Mormons are the biggest hypocrites for caring about how people marry each other. But the, um, the Mormon church has been very slow to accept homosexuality as a thing, as a, as a real thing. But they, there is a lot of small wins and, and the, the, um, within the church. So my, one of my cousins, she, she's a lesbian. She's still in the church. Um, and in order to be an active member of the church, she just can't be sexually active. It's just against the rules. And she's doing that. <laughs> All right. I think I mean, last time I talked to her about this, she was, she was trying to be, um, a, a member of the church still, uh, it's extremely hard for her. She's, she's written a bunch of articles about it. And uh, a lot of Mormons are very supportive of her. They're like, wow, what you're doing is really difficult. So it's basically Mormons now accept that homosexuality is real. It's not people aren't just making it up. That's that's very much established. When I was a kid, that's not the case. When I was the kid, when I was a kid, we, we were taught that people were just kind of or it was it was insinuated. I don't think it was ever said directly but it was insinuated that it's just people wanting to be perverts and and it's it's a choice type thing and um now it's recognized that uh, maybe in some cases people have just been like you know i had a bad experience with men so now i'm not with men anymore but uh which i mean i wouldn't say that's necessarily choice either but the uh nowadays people are like okay homosexuality is a real thing uh i think one of the things that I heard, this was back when I was still going to church, is that some people speculate Paul was actually gay, and that was the thorn in his side that he talks about. I don't know if, if that's a Mormon thing or if other people talk about that too. I've heard about that as well, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was one of the many things discussed at Bible College, yeah. Yeah. So the people, yeah, Mormons have now accepted it, and they're, they do, they've done a lot of articles about you know, we need to be respectful towards the homosexual communities and towards people who are gay. But you cannot be a member of the church. You get your, you, you can't go to the temple. You can't take the sacrament if you are actively homosexual. That's considered a sin. And I don't know how long that's going to last. Um, a lot of people in the community are like, there's no way that that's going to end. Uh, we don't see that ever ending. Uh, and a lot of Mormons will tell you that too. Like that's, that's, that's where we draw the line. Uh, the reason they were so against gay marriage is probably because the church runs a huge adoption program and they would be forced to do adoptions to gay couples. And they didn't want to do that. Uh, the, and I think they, I think they are now forced to adopt to uh gay couples so i yeah i i haven't followed that for a long time um but yeah the i think it's just really hard it's it's a big conflict people don't know how to deal with it uh there's a lot of you know growing up pretty much anyone who was gay would be ostracized uh one of my friends, Aaron, he came out as gay and his dad started beating him. And it was just, uh, it was very, very rough. 
that's not normal. Like, that's not what Mormons preach is to beat your children if they're gay, but that, that's what would happen. Um, the, the, the attitude's changing though. They're, they're definitely, there's a lot more understanding now, but it's, it's still, if, if, if you're a Mormon and you're gay, you feel like you're just an outcast. You feel like a reject. Um, that's what people report. And there's a really high suicide rate among gay Mormons, uh, especially especially in Utah and places where Mormon is not just the religion, but it's also the the overarching culture. There's a lot of suicide of, of especially like gay teens. Uh, it's, it's just really rough. And then the other thing that happens is, you know, if you're, if you're a teenager, you're gay, you think that you're an outcast and then you end up running, you're not able to talk about it openly and you end up running to a bad part of the gay culture where, you know, there's a lot of people that are predatory in that community that are waiting for these, these kids to, that are kind of broken and they take advantage of them. And then there's a really healthy part of the gay community where everyone's very open and they talk about things. Uh, and a lot of these kids, they don't know what they're getting into. They run away. They end up hitting the wrong part of the culture and they end up having a horrible time and the new community they, they, they enter. So it's, I think the Mormon church has realized how important it is to make sure that, you know, people are supported uh, and and treated as if it's okay and and not hated and not ostracized for this. I think that's that's happening. But again, you'd have to talk to someone in the gay community to really know uh, what's happening there. Uh, which actually, you might be interested in talking to my cousin. She's very open about this stuff, and she's got a really interesting story about she was a missionary and her kind of realizing that she was gay on her mission. And then afterwards, when she was at BYU, really interesting story. I'd, I'll have to connect you two because that, that would be cool to talk about. But it's, it's complicated <laughs> for, for people. In, in her case, she had promised her dad that she was going to be faithful to the church and then he as he was dying. And she made that promise when she was young. And it's it's something that she just does not feel she can back out of, and she she wants to believe in Mor the Mormon theology. That's what tells her she'll she'll see her father again, and it's um yeah it's very difficult for people who want to try to stay in the church when they have when they're when they're gay. It's just you can't uh you're just stuck between two. Uh, forces pulling you apart. It's very hard. So, obviously, the whole thing sounds delightful. I guess the next question is, why did you? Why did you leave? Um, but no, I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, it doesn't sound delightful. But I guess yeah. what I mean from that is, some of the things you mentioned about your cousin just then, for instance, you can apply to to anybody, right? Where they're, they're within a belief system because of the yeah. promises that it's giving them, the hope, the meaning, the destiny, the, the way they've been raised, the, the the values they hold a lot of these things they associate with you know i associate those things with christianity i i still do to to quite a high high extent as well which is fascinating but 
putting that on pause it'd be really interesting to kind of hear then obviously you mentioned right at the start there were things that began to make you decide you or realize you no longer believed i'm not sure it was necessarily mm-hmm. a decision but you realized you no longer believed but then you came back a few times so before you dive into the the reasons why you no longer believed which you probably have hit on already but just to go into those a little bit more it'd be interesting to hear for you what were the threads that kept bringing you back in was it the community was it the teaching was it the values like what was it that made you uh, i guess a, a few times as you were kind of slowly progressing your way out of it mm-hmm. uh, turn around and try and come back for a little bit well so okay uh, on my mission when i realized i didn't believe in this stuff it was towards well when I was released as a missionary, when 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 I was told, "Okay, you're done," that was when I definitely knew. I was like, "Okay, I have not. I still have. There's not been any sort of confirmation in my mind that this is legitimate." And I just, I took my mission very seriously. I obeyed. Like being a Mormon missionary, there's a ton of rules, and I don't think they're actually intended to be obeyed 100. percent It's like they make really strict rules so that when you break them, you're really only doing something that's kind of mischievous but i was i wanted because i was struggling so much with my belief even before i went to serve a mission i wanted to do this 100 percent and do everything that i would need to do for to get some sort of a confirmation that this is real and i didn't want to screw that up on my own behavior at all and it didn't happen there was there was no confirmation that this is true there was no, uh, I was just as, uh, even more, I was even more doubtful that it was real uh, towards the end of my mission than, than at the start. And then when I was released, I'm like, okay, th- I'm just, I'm just done with this. But I had this idea, like, I really liked the fact that there's all these, uh, within the Jewish community, there's about, there's people that just like, I'm a secular Jew. And I was like, I wish I could, I want to be a secular Mormon. So I'll still participate in this and that and so on. But I'm not going to believe in it. Maybe that's maybe that's going to be okay. But I quickly realized that I didn't really have the guts to tell people that I didn't believe in it. So I was like, after my mission, I would I was there's this whole kind of like parade you go on where you you come back and they want everyone wants to hear about your story. So you go and you you do presentations about what you did when you were a missionary, and so there's that. And then I. I was going to community college. I was studying, I I wanted to be a scientific illustrator. So I was studying biology at community college and I was studying uh, illustration. And then I got accepted into the illustration program at BYU. And so pretty quickly, you know, I I, I did a few more classes at the community college after my mission. And then I got, I moved to Utah and started going to BYU. And I was like, okay, I definitely can't admit that I don't believe in this stuff because... I I got into BYU as a return missionary, which makes it easier to get in, makes it way cheaper. <laughs> you, um, if I if I were to leave the church, I have to do it. It's really complicated for paperwork. It's going to be more expensive to get my education. Uh, I might not even be able to stay at the school. So I just kind of like stayed in it, <laughs> and I would just roll my eyes quietly in the back, you know, at church. And I just wouldn't participate in the ceremony. You know, I, I wouldn't take sacrament and stuff like that. So the, <laughs> I just kind of stuck with it and had this idea that I could, I could just be a secular Mormon. That's fine. And then I, 
I just realized this is going to be tough because, you know, you start meeting women and you, all the, all the women at BYU want to get married and, uh, you know, in the temple, <laughs> I'm like, ah, crap. So my, my girlfriend at the time when I was at, at BYU, she would always talk about marriage and I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, that I'm going to have, I guess I'm going to have to deal with this eventually really head on. But it was just it was just kind of a thing that I was just putting off, you know, and I I ended up I realized that I was going to have to leave the school. I, I couldn't do it for the full. I had two years left. I'm like, I can't even make it two years. I can't keep I can't keep this this game up for two years. So I got a job offer in Tennessee and I took that. I moved to Tennessee and I figured, okay, now it's a it's a clean break. I can just leave. But everyone that I moved with there, they were all Mormons, and they ended up roping me into going to church with them. And I was, it was just, it was just community kept bringing me back to it, you know. And especially when I was in Utah or when I was in Tennessee, I didn't know anybody outside the church at first. And I started again. I started dating a girl who was a Mormon. So I was like, crap, I did it again. Uh, so I just had, I was keeping things to myself. Um, hadn't fully admitted it to anyone that I didn't believe in this stuff anymore. And then finally, the, I remember the day that it happened when I, I first told my, my friend, Sean Lindsay, we were in his truck, we were doing home teaching, which I loved. I loved taking care of people in the community, like making sure that they had their needs met. And I, I just told him, like, I don't believe in any of this, not Jesus, not God, not Joseph Smith, none of it. And it was this big, like emotional thing for both of us. Because um, he was very, uh, you know, he, you know, it's it's hard when, it's really hard when, when people, I think if you're trying to maintain faith, which is always hard to do, no matter what someone says, it, it is hard work to maintain their faith. If someone that they love and that they trust and that they, they're inspired by in any way, like everyone looks up to their friends in some way or another, tells you, yeah, it's crap. I don't believe in it. That's painful, you know? Um, so anyway, that, that was where I fully admitted it to him. And then I, I, I told the leadership of the church, yeah, I don't believe in this stuff anymore. And there's like, Oh, well just, just stick with it and maybe it'll come. I'm like, I've tried that. <laughs> um, just, I, I'm happy to keep doing home teaching and, you know, help, help, helping take care of people in this community. I care about that. And so I kept doing that for, for the time that I lived in Tennessee, I stayed, uh, active in home teaching and I would go to church sometimes, but it was then known to everyone kind of like above me in the organization that I was, I didn't believe in it. Uh, it was, it was said very clearly to them that I, you know, and I was not supposed to take the, I was told that I can't take the sacrament and, and I can't, but I, I already wasn't. So it's, it was, um, it was not a, a big issue. And then when I moved from Tennessee, so I was there for three years working with that company. And then when I moved from there, I, it was, I, I was fully out and talking about it to everybody, uh, posting rude things about the church on social media, <laughs> stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it just it just took a while. It's like the tentacles were deep in me and my my whole world was wrapped up in Mormonism, so it was very difficult to leave. But 
you know, I often talked about my sort of, um, I guess, realisation that I didn't necessarily believe anymore as a sort of, uh, I guess, the house coming down upon me and me mm-hmm. sitting there in the rubble with the dust everywhere, like, where do I go from here? Like, this structure that was around me, I never thought would break, but it's completely crumbled. Yes. It's gone. And all I have now is my feet, and I've just got to keep walking. So I guess, yeah. John, for you, when you began to realise that you didn't believe, did you begin to question things like um, morals, your ethics? I mean, did mm-hmm. you did you struggle with, um, this is a very personal question, so forgive me, but did you struggle with things like um, understanding and accepting homosexuality because your entire life you might have been taught that that it wasn't right, it wasn't godly, it wasn't correct. Um, because, you know, I, I struggled that for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I, 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 I struggled with trying to understand how I had meaning and purpose and value if there wasn't a God, what, what sex yeah. meant biologically and um, for the individual as, as, as their own person. And just always, I guess all these things need answering, right? <laughs> you kind of get given this like yeah. really nice checklist where you can kind of go down, you've got the correct answer for these things. You tick them off as people raise them. But when the house comes down, you're kind of left in this rubble. You have to answer these things yourself. You you have to go away and yeah. actually do the research. And that is flipping hard. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your reflections as you as you got up and you, 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 you're kind of carrying on. Um, how did you begin to... I guess readdress uh, some of the questions that you had, uh, the sort of classic answers to the Mormonism within a sort of secular, I guess, mode. Yeah, well, it started right away from. It actually started on my mission. I really started thinking about this stuff from a secular perspective. I remember one of the big eye-opening events as a missionary was I was, I was teaching a guy, who about Mormonism who was gay and he had a bunch of questions about. Mormon theology on homosexuality and so on. And I, I really started thinking about it more like the, like what, what the heck it means. And there's something really interesting that happens when you're, when, when someone thinks that you are a representative of God, they will open up to you and tell you everything. And it, this was a really good experience for me to, to talk, to talk to him about this because he was point blank, just telling it, telling you th- telling me things that I would never expect anyone would ever share with me about being gay and about what it was like for him. Cause he was raised in an evangelical church. He tried to get married to a woman. I think, I think he was married. Um, and she was very tolerant with him about this. You know, uh, she was, she was very good with him about the fact that he was gay and he, he just could not, he couldn't stomach having sex with her. And it was, uh, it was just so interesting to hear about this because, you know, there was my, my dad, my dad was a psychologist. Again, he's very liberal for a Mormon and he had talked about this kind of stuff with us. Cause when I was a kid that the anti-gay Mormonism stuff, it, it soaked into my brain pretty hard, like just kind of indirectly to where when I was very young, I was picking on a guy for, uh, on a kid in my class who was, well, we didn't know he was gay for sure at that time, but he, he was. Um, and I was picking on him, and my dad found out about that. He got I was very much in trouble. And so he, he taught me about this stuff a little bit then, and that was really good for me to learn about. <laughs> a little kid experimenting and being mean to people. Um, and the... So yet somehow, even though it was never taught to me directly that you should be hateful towards homosexuals that seeped in. I mean, it, it was, it was a part of me. 
when I was young. And then I think having having this interaction with this guy on my mission was super important for me to really understand. So like, my dad teaching me about this stuff and making me feel ashamed for, for picking on this kid, that was very helpful. And then the um, the interaction with this guy and just understanding his story inside and out was really helpful. And then again, like I was... Um, I was very curious about the just the phenomena of homosexuality and, and how people dealt with this. And I would just ask people, like, uh, probably too forward, you know, if someone if someone was open about being gay, I figured maybe they're open about talking about it in a one on one situation. And for the most part, they were. So even after my mission, I would talk to people about it to try and understand it more. Um, but the having that having that conversation as a missionary was very helpful that started me thinking about about sexuality in general from a secular perspective i started digesting that a lot and then when i i had this period for for many years where i was this you know closeted secular mormon right and in that time i was dealing with things like oh what do i actually think about alcohol for example cuz that's very demonized within Mormonism. What do I think about sex in general? What do I think about all of these different things? And so I was able to slowly build a, kind of a new foundation for what I thought about that stuff. But I was very weird. <laughs> I was living between two different worlds for all of these years. Um, all of my relationships, like like dating and stuff, was super hard because... Uh, you know, like now I'm married, I'm, everything's great. But during this time, it was just so difficult to have a relationship with someone because, first of all, most of the girls I was dating were Mormons, and I didn't want to, like, step on their toes with their religious beliefs. But I also, you know, I'm pretty sure I did. Probably before I talked to Sean about it, I'm sure I talked about it with girls that I was with, but not. You know, I didn't I didn't tell them that I full on don't believe in even Jesus. You know, it was like, yeah, I I think I probably talked to them about issues with Mormonism and Mormon culture more than with uh, God and Jesus specifically. But um, it slowly building a new foundation was very painful. It took a lot of time. I spent a lot of energy doing it. My brother also was doing this at the same time. He didn't tell me about it. We, we didn't tell each other about it until we were both fully out. It was kind of funny. Uh, but he was going into online forums and ex-Mormon forums and stuff. I didn't do that at all. Like I, I, I looked at some of that stuff briefly, but I, I just wanted to deal with it on my own. Uh, it very much was like, I don't believe that we have a choice in what's, what we find convincing. So I don't, I don't buy this idea that I chose to leave Mormonism. I, I mean, I chose to leave it, I suppose, it, as far as you want to talk about choice being a thing that we do. Um, I chose to come out fully about it and chose to actually leave. But as far as losing my faith, that was, just, you're either convinced by something or you're not. It just breaks. It breaks like, like you're talking about this house that crumbles and there's the, all the dust around you. Uh, yeah, I had very hard moments, like very, I spent a lot of the time 
where I just didn't want to hang out with people. I didn't want to talk to people. I just needed a lot of alone time to process everything. But it was over the course of many years. When I full out left, I remember the first big catastrophe that I had had to deal with without the crutch of Mormonism to help me through it was the death. Well, first of all, the stroke. My grandpa had a stroke and he was just completely, you know, he was gone. He was just a shell. And then a few months later, maybe maybe it was a year or so later, he died of, of a second stroke. And so dealing with death for the first time and just a loss, like maybe it was even worse just him having a stroke. That was catastrophic. Without the crutch of the church to tell me that I'll see him again, that was catastrophic. And I had a whole series of dreams about death uh, where I would die every single night from some other, <laughs> some crazy different different mode of, of dying for probably uh, maybe a year. I, that's what I dream about every single night. And that was how I coped with it. I, got, I ended up getting to the point to where I was comfortable with dying by experiencing it so many times in these dreams. Uh, so like, yeah, my brain was obsessed with death for a very long time um, and trying to figure out how to cope with that as an animal instead of as, as a child of God, right? <laughs> uh, and th- that, was, that was a big change. That was a big transition. Uh, the other thing I realized is that when I would get screwed over by someone, the other crutch that I had with Mormonism was that I would, I would, I assumed that everything would be made right in the end, that they would have to uh, pay for the wrong they had done. And it was kind of like this, uh, I, I didn't even notice it when I was, when I was doing it, but it was kind of a little glee that, ah, oh, well, they'll, they'll pay for that later. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about it. That'll get taken care of. And it was kind of this mischievous little, ha ha ha, you're going to, you're going to pay for that. And then that, when, when I realized that was gone, like, oh, when I get screwed over, I just actually get screwed over <laughs> in life. And that's the end of it. That was an interesting realization. Um, and, and difficult to cope with too, just that I don't have that, um, I don't have that little, little thing to fall back on. So it was, and there's, there's a lot of surprising, surprisingly difficult things and a lot of things that you would expect. Like, I think most people expect that once you lose your faith, death becomes a whole different beast, right? But that was, it was, it was a process, many years being weird, (laughs) uh, not fitting in anywhere. Uh, now I, I still don't, you know, I have friends that are like full on in the atheist community. There is an atheist community, uh, but that's not really where I fit. Uh, and I'm friends with Stephen from Rationality Rules. Uh, he and I, we would have uh, Skype beers sometimes during COVID. <laughs> I mean, he's he's in the UK, so I don't. I actually have never we've never hung out in person, but we 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 talk from time to time. Uh, I really enjoy hanging out with him. And I've I've done when I first moved to Montreal, I started going to a secular club, like a meetup, like secular or not not secular, but skeptic, and which is kind of you know a lot of people there consider themselves to be atheists. Not all of them, but uh, a lot of them are atheist or agnostic. Um, but that's kind of that's normal for Montreal in general. Um, but it's not. I've never felt like that's my community. You know, I've. The thing that I started doing when I full-on left the church was I started volunteering at a wildlife rehab center. So we'd, we'd take in animals that were hit by a car and we'd do surgery on them or 
you know, nurse them back to health and then let them go. And that was a fun way to, to meet people in the community um, outside of Mormonism that cared about something, you know. I actually, my, the community is kind of split into people that are really interested in biology, which is me, and people who are just like, they love animals and it breaks their heart, you know, when they see a suffering animal. And I was more on the biology side, but it was really fun just to, just to get into that community. That was kind of my, kind of my church, I guess you could say for several years. Uh, those were the people that I looked out for. Those are the people that I checked in on to make sure they had everything they needed and they were doing all right. Um, and then working with the animals was a fun project we were all doing together. I got to hang out with hawks and eagles and raccoons close up and I got to do surgeries on animals. It was, it was a lot of fun, but the, uh, the, you, you, you need, you need a community and you need, you need to find a way to cope with the crazy things in life like death. And I think that there's, that transition is very dangerous. Uh, especially the more extreme the religion was, the more dangerous the transition is. You see a lot of people fall into alcoholism, drug abuse when they're transitioning. Um, especially the really, like Jehovah's Witnesses a lot of times there's a there's a meth problem with ex Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, there's a meth problem with ex Mormons, especially the uh, the uh, the fundamentalist Mormons, where the, it's it's a lot more culty than the mainstream Mormon Church. There's a lot of meth in that community, and the uh, as people leave, it's like they don't know the difference between having a drink every once in a while and doing meth. Both were demonized to the extent that they're both the same thing. And so there's no, they're just like, okay, it's, it's party time now, I guess. And they just go off the deep end. Uh, I had this transition where I was still in the church. So I was obeying all of the, the health rules and stuff. And even all the sexual rules, I was, I, you know, for years after not believing in the church, I was, I was still obeying all the rules and that allowed me to slowly replace uh, what I had been doing with, with what I wanted to do in the future. And I could really carefully analyze how I was going to deal with things like alcohol and so on. So uh, I do recommend that people are very careful in these transitions because you can, you can, you can lose your life. I mean, you can, marriages can, can crumble. Um, my brother is doing this right now. My twin brother, I have a twin brother. He's leaving Mormonism right now with a family and him and his wife have left together and it's it's just a whole nother beast to juggle that with another person and in his case it's like rebuilding the ship while sailing uh with your whole family inside <laughs> so it's 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 a very difficult it can be extremely difficult this transition so it, it is really good that you have online communities where people talk about this i i do recommend that people get involved in an online community as they're doing this um and to try to stay away from the hateful side of it, because there's a lot of resentment that comes with having been tricked by a religious cult, by a religious group. There's a lot of anger that comes out with that. Um, and this is what we see with the, it, it, one of the things I was talking about with Stephen about this is, you know, the, the atheist community 
what people see as the atheist community, that's usually people that have recently left their religion and they're still very angry about things. And so you get, there's this stereotype of the angry atheist. And um, I think a lot of times if you just talk to someone 10 years later, they're still like, oh yeah, yeah, technically I'm an atheist, but I, I, it's not how I think of myself on a day, daily basis. And I'm no longer bitter in any way about things. But you have um, you have this community that's that comes out of it usually very angry. It's really good for them to have a community to talk about talk about things with. And then you have people like Stephen who are just there. He's I guess you could say he's a professional atheist because his YouTube is now I think it's his full time gig, and a lot of what he does is is atheist YouTubing, <laughs> and uh, and he's there as a he's a very uh, I would say a very calm and. Uh, uh, you know, rational. He's trying to analyze this. Um, he pokes fun sometimes, of course, at the the religious group. But he he is per, he is pretty uh, pretty mellow. And I, I think it's it's good to have people who stick with the community for a long time and can have a uh, a uh, I guess non 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 bitter stance. He's I believe he was never raised religious, if I remember correctly. But he he came into this kind of through a side angle. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it it's complicated leaving, but it's my advice is to be careful as you, as you're transitioning because it can you can, really can fall off the deep end. So I'm going to ask you in a minute to give advice or um, dive deeper into kind of um, thoughts around those that are leaving or those that are trying to support people who are leaving. But before we dive into that space and, and, and hold me to that, I don't want to forget about it. Um, it'd be interesting to hear about your experiences with, um, again, quite personal, but with rejection or with those those who you thought were your brethren, your family, your, your community, um, turning their back on you. I mean, I was chatting to uh, my dad. Um, I love him dearly. He's very Christian. He raised me Christian. And I was just explaining to him, like, you know, 99% of those who I went to church with and who I worked with, I worked for a Christian charity for many years, um, have completely rejected me. And if I see them on the street, they will say, hi, I'll send them a message. Hey, do you want to meet for a beer? And then they won't, they won't respond. And if they see me, they'll be nice, but actually, behind it it's just a veil of uh of anger or annoyance or frustration or regret or whatever it is i'm just i'm I'm very much aware that i'm quite bitter and upset because of the impact the community has had on me and, and my family like my my wife and my two little boys now four and seven lost family and friends because of this entire situation so it'd be interesting john to hear a bit from you about um, obviously you mentioned a kind of a few relatives have been going through the sort of deconstruction of Mormonism with, with you, although you didn't know about it at the time. Um, are you, are you seeing that as actually quite a big swath of people going through this? And, and, and that's really interesting if that's true, but also have you experienced that sort of shunning or rejection from the Mormon community or have you seen that happening to other people? Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned earlier, one of my friends who 
came out gay when he was young. He was beat by his dad. It was horrible. It was absolutely catastrophic. People have horrible times when they leave their religion. I have been very lucky. My 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 dad was actually um he ended up leaving the church shortly after for different reasons. Um my mom is still a Mormon, but all of my brothers have since left. Like I just told you my, my twin brother is, is leaving too right now. He's kind of uh he I I think it was probably maybe right towards the start of COVID that he came out about it to us to a handful of people. Um but the I have not experienced the really, really bad shunning that some people have experienced. I mean, for some people, it's absolutely catastrophic. I was talking about the suicide that some young people are having uh, or going through. Uh, this can be catastrophic. And it's painful for the people who are still in the church because they loved you and they trusted you and now you betrayed them. I mean, the, the, when we leave, we really are betraying them. It's it is an act of betrayal and that's how it's seen by people. That's how it's felt by people. And I don't think that there's, it's not because they're bad. It's, it's just what happens. It's you are betraying your culture. You're betraying your tribe when you leave. Uh, my, I've just been very lucky that my parents tolerated it. My brothers tolerated it, even when even the ones my twin brother who was trying to stay in it for a long time. He still let me hang out with his kids. There was nothing weird ever. Uh, I was careful not to not to say stuff around his kids a whole lot because I didn't want to disrupt whatever path he was taking them down and what. But it was it was apparent to them pretty pretty quickly that I was not a member of the church. Even even the kids they they figured that out. Uh. And luckily for me, that was okay. So my immediate family, totally cool about it, which was surprising. I think that, like I said, I, I was pretty vocal on social media for a while. That got a mixed result. A lot of cause of my cousins stopped talking to me after that. A lot of my other cousins started messaging me saying, hey, I'm doing the same thing, actually. And then some when I... I really was vocal about the, the church's meddling in the, the gay marriage stuff. It was absurd that they were trying to tell other people how they can get married outside of the church. Like, it's one thing to say what, what Mormons believe about marriage within the church. It's a totally different thing to say what marriage is for the rest of the community. And so I was very vocal about that. And I had active Mormons writing me, thanking me for that. So people that were still in it, still trying to be in it. And they're like, yeah, we... It's really hard for us to talk about this, but you're, you've been totally on point and you've helped me. You've helped me. I had one letter saying you helped me figure out exactly why I was so bothered by this, by pointing out what's, what's going on here. And so he had then, he was then able to talk about other people to, to other people in the church about it and express himself better. So I got a mixed uh, reaction from people. The, uh, I don't know what it would have been like. I think I would probably still be very bitter today if I, if it had really screwed up my relationships with people. I think, you know, one of the people that I miss the most, and he wouldn't be in my life anyway. Now is my ex-girlfriend's dad. I, I love this guy. And he was, um, 
he was like he he totally like when I came out even after I broke up with his daughter <laughs> we were dating for like 2 years even after that we were still good friends and we would still talk a lot but when I left the church he completely shunned me he was he's the only person that I really am like man I I wish that didn't happen like that's that was probably the most painful thing uh my friend Sean who I talked about earlier he's still totally willing to hang out talks to me all the time he was going to actually be the person who married my wife and i but it was during covid and they they couldn't get a flight out to to do it so we just did it through the the uh the courthouse here but the you know i have not experienced the shunning that other people experience uh even my cousins who stopped talking to me that's that's done now they st- they talk to me again it's all it's like nothing happened it's course has been 10 years over 10 years but the at this point it's pretty much all better but all of the more shallow relationships that i had those were completely done like those people don't shallow is the wrong word but you know just the more casual relationships that i had with people they're like no you're i can't believe you did this you know you're you're bad you must have been sinning and that's why you left and you must have been like this evil two-faced sinner i guess i guess i was two-faced in some way and that i wasn't telling everybody that i didn't believe this stuff but um i I was trying to um, be clear about boundaries to the leadership above me in the church like yeah don't don't have me do this because i I, i'm not fully on board um but but yeah i think a lot of people around me didn't know that and so they might feel like a like i was lying to them uh and I was genuinely rude when I left, so for a while. So a lot of the broken relationships, I it's kind of on me. <laughs> uh, for I I could have been more diplomatic about it, uh, especially on Facebook and stuff <laughs> when I, when I first left. But yeah, I don't. I guess I don't have good advice for people that are dealing with that because I didn't really experience it, the shunning. Mm, that makes sense that makes sense it's, it's interesting as well obviously you've seen it through the lenses of those around you, you know, it's not just your own yeah. lens it's 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 yeah. those your family and your friends who have gone through and some are still going through it might still be involved in the community i think it's um it's really interesting like we're all we're all individuals and we all have to carve out our own story it might sound weird but i've kind of view it as a destiny like we all carve out we all carve out the pages of our life and um, at the end of it, there's 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 a novel, and we we are in control to a certain extent um, about where that goes and about how we begin to uh, deal with these things. As you mentioned, I don't think we're necessarily in control of of. Uh, I, I I say it often on the show, like I don't think we have the power to decide what does or doesn't convince us of a truth proposition. Mm-hmm. So if I say to you, you know, Christianity is true you can't decide to believe that it's not possible um right you just have a reaction to it and it's either yes that's true or no that's not true and, and that is uh, and that can be adapted and changed through research and learning and reading but it, that's the way it is but i still think um yeah it's, it's a fascinating one when you can begin to look at it through another lens and saying you know we we have the power to um to affect others so if we if we have gone through a an experience of shunning or pain we can recognize that uh, those who are leaving will also be experiencing the same thing. We can help them with their journeys and their stories as yeah. well. Um, 
so the sort of final thing I wanted to chat to you about before I check in if I've missed anything is really around the sort of advice you'd give to people leaving a religion, any religion, um, regardless of shunning, regardless of anything like you've kind of mentioned two ways in our conversation. You mentioned one way, which was mm -hmm. the way your brother did it, which was online forums, talking, getting advice, help, etc. And I've kind of stayed away from that as well. I was invited to a few, a few forums for uh, ex clergy, etc. But it just, it just felt not, it just wasn't right for me. And I did it alone and then started doing this, this show really actually as a sort of yeah. way of, of processing it and, and sharing stories, conversations, ideas, etc. So, for somebody who might come to this tomorrow or in 20 years time like when this is still on the internet forever uh, what advice would you give to somebody who's beginning to realize and wake up within their house to see that it's crumbled and they don't know where to go next like what what would you be saying to somebody right in those early stages of um yeah journey uh well for one thing i would say uh it's going to be painful and weird <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you're, you have to rebuild a foundation of your worldview. But I would say to take your time. I would say to just go slow and take your time and don't do anything too dramatic all at once because uh, the <laughs> what Mormonism did, I, I don't... I remember looking at a at a stained glass window, stained glass windows. I was at a Catholic church. I was a cathedral looking looking through a stained glass window. And you could kind of see through parts of it, and you could see the parking lot <laughs> through parts if you looked really close. But I was like, this stained glass window is taking the ugly parking lot and painting this beautiful picture of of what the church wants you to see and how how you can see the world. And I think that's what our that's what our religion does is it takes like the world and all of its beauty and all of its horror and covers up certain spots with a pretty little picture. Um, and well, the picture can be ugly in some spots too, <laughs> but the, the church paints for you. But uh, the, the truth of when you have to just look at the world naked, just, it can be catastrophic. It, it's, it's, ugly there's there are horrible things happening in, on this planet and i think uh i think i think seeing the full picture for what it actually is looking at that ugly parking lot instead of the pretty picture that people are trying to paint um i think that that's the healthy way to go but it's 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 a lot to take in <laughs> um you know we we don't fully understand what we are there's tons of uncertainty one of the things that one of my cousins was asking me about, she's, uh, she said, uh, I kind of get evolution and stuff, but what about like the Big Bang? Like, what's before that? And how do you know that that's real? And I was like, well, you don't. You just, it, there's, there's a very strong limit to our understanding of what's, of how the world works, what we are, how we got here, where we're going. Like all of this is very much a question mark. And coming to terms with that is really weird when you, when you came from a place of absolute certainty about everything. That's the nice thing about Mormonism, for example. I said before it's a, it's internally consistent, whereas in reality, like parts of it are internally consistent, but then there's just question marks at the edges of everything. It's just a big mystery at the at the edge of everything, and you have to cope with that. Um, the the brutality of war, all these things like, like 
what are we? Why are we killing each other? Why are we destroying our planet so quickly? I mean, I, I know people who are just um, overwhelmed by environmental issues uh, where it's just uh, it's terrifying all the time watching this world crumble that we're living on, watching ecosystems fall apart. And I, um, <laughs> I don't know, honestly, I, 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 the only thing I can say is just take it slow. <laughs> um, you don't have to look at everything all at once. <laughs> uh, it's okay to have dangling certainty that's actually not founded on anything for a while. Just chip away at that slowly. Um, rebuild your picture of how the world works slowly because it's just too much. If you try and do it all at once, it's just too much. I'm sure there's still a bunch of things that I haven't even worked out yet, even 10 years on. Um, but yeah, my, my only advice, take it slow. <laughs> Strong, good advice, my friend. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, John, before I let you jump off, I'm aware we've been going for a while, but this has been such an interesting conversation and I've learned so much about Mormonism. I knew bits, but it was really helpful to hear somebody who'd been on the inside express it and explain it more more clearly and uh, and coherently than I had it in my head. Um, is there anything that I've missed that you want to add that you want to say uh, before we wrap up? Uh, I think I I think we we fairly we covered things pretty well. I, I oh I guess maybe maybe one thing worth we're talking about is that my um my fall from from faith was actually not based at all really in science. I suppose maybe that that first my first doubt was related to plate tectonics versus Jesus in space. <laughs> the, the painting of Jesus in space. But the um white Jesus in outer space. <laughs> building the earth but the my 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 issue with theology was just it, i think it was i was frustrated by the certainty that people had that this is true and everything else is false uh and that certainty that i saw that everybody had about their religions that were very different uh 9-11 the twin towers was another thing for me that i thought about a lot like these people were willing to hijack a plane and fly it into a building because they believed it, they had certainty that they were doing the right thing. And, uh, that was a very powerful illustration of, of what faith can do for us is, or what, what that certainty does, you know? And it's, it's like, it's just luck that the religion I was raised in told me to go on a, to Brazil for two years and have a, an amazing cultural experience instead of, you know, murder thousands of people. That's just luck, right? So I, I thought about that quite a bit. Uh, and that was, it was this that convinced me that my, my religion was wrong. It was the certainty that, that, that they were right, everybody else was wrong. And that just seemed absurd to me. Uh, other people have, you know, it's evolution or something that does it for them or, I actually was Mormons are not young earth creationists. They are, uh, they're fairly open. Like BYU teaches evolution normally like any other university does. But I had a, I had a young earth creationist Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. And so I was taught to be scared of evolution, you know, but 
the still it wasn't a big it wasn't a big thing i was i was told pretty early on that evolution is okay by other um you know sunday school teachers and so i was kind of okay with that i i found a way to sort of mix the two in a some sort of a weird way uh and you can do that you can you can find a way to fully accept the science that that people understand that scientists have worked out and also maintain your religious faith that's definitely possible i'm not I'm not one of these people saying that you have to give up your religion to understand science. Um, and, and I don't, I don't, I hope I don't, I, I'm not, I don't come off as like preaching atheism either. I don't, I don't want to tell people what they should conclude. This is a private journey that we're all going on and life is weird. <laughs> life is weird and there's a lot of terrifying things that happen on this planet and I don't, uh, I don't feel superior for having given up my religious beliefs. I don't feel I'm not embarrassed by people who believe in, in these things. Um, do what you have to do to get by life is hard. Uh, but don't force your beliefs on other people, please. This is my recommendation to people who are sticking with their faith. But I guess that's, yeah, yeah, that's it. I think just, just pointing out that, for me, it was uh, certainty, not 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 anything having to do with science that uh, finally broke the thing for me. Well, John, thank you so much for you know, taking the time to talk about Mormonism and your story, for walking us through it, for answering my questions. It's been an incredible conversation. And uh, yeah, mate, thank you so much once again for coming on When Belief Dies. Yeah. Do we have a When Belief Dies episode just about you and your story? There's bits and pieces hidden in the archives. <laughs> um, no, okay. there's, 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 there's not been one which has been me sitting down with somebody asking me questions about um, where I've come from and gone to. I've, I've, I wrote many blog posts about that, but I've yeah, since, okay. I since removed those, though, because I was a bit like, um, it was just costing me a little time responding to comments and stuff about it. Um, but there's been no uh, like formal interview or anything like that, no. Yeah, no, cause so, yeah. I tried to turn it around on you a little bit <laughs> today, but it, it would be really interesting. And I think, well, you were asking for advice. My other bit of advice for people, as if you're leaving, is to start a podcast. Right? It's therapeutic now. <laughs> it works well. It helps. I mean, especially if you can kind of get to the point where you're talking to to guests like yourself and you're able to hear other stories. I find it fast, absolutely fascinating. Like talking to other people from other religions who've gone through yeah. the same thing you've gone through in your religion and you thought your religion was the complete truth and yet somebody else also thought that about their own religion and they've also come away going i don't know what's true i don't think this is true i don't think you know god's real etc yeah. etc and then others then come back to a belief in god and some never come back to belief in god and right i just yeah i i say i i used to say it tons of podcasts like this is a journey it's not a destination and and hearing yeah. about people's journey out of faith and if we go back to faith, who, who who actually cares? Like it's it's incredible to be able to map and and just hear the human story. Like we're, we we are creatures. We have evolved. Even if you believe in a god, we are still you know mammalian creatures that have come from yeah something completely not us to where we are today with our cognition and our reason and our ability to yeah. communicate. I just find it absolutely incredible. So uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. I, I love what you're doing with the podcast, and 
yeah, it, it it's bold to do that right out of the gate. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate you doing this. It's cool. Yeah, thanks, Brie. I think it's helping a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's the hope. That is the hope. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, John. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When Belief Dies. As always, to leave any comments or thoughts, head on over to YouTube. To follow me on Twitter or to see where else I'm online, check out the links in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this show a reality. And until next time, enjoy the journey.